Welcome to the Michigan Publishing Podcast, where we engage with the people and ideas that enable us to support the broadest possible access to scholarship and drive our leadership in academic publishing. I'm Elizabeth Demers, Editorial Director for the University of Michigan Press, as well as host for this episode. This is the third episode of our five-part mini-series dedicated to open access, in line with this year's International Open Access Week theme, It Matters How We Open Knowledge, Building Structural Equity. Through this series, we explore different aspects and perspectives on open access and the implications of open access publishing practices and scholarship on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. On today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Jim Ottaviani and Rachel Woodbrook of Deep Blue Repository and Research Data Services at Michigan Publishing, a division of the University of Michigan Library. Jim and Rachel, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, Elizabeth. So first, tell us about the open mission of Deep Blue and Deep Blue Data. Jim. Deep Blue, at least on the document side, launched in 2006, and its mission is to make the research, scholarship, and creativity of the U of M community available to the world. We want that work to be easier to find, easier to cite, and easier to build upon to create new knowledge. We're, at this point, just shy of 100 million downloads since 2008, and we know Deep Blue has been referenced in sources ranging from scholarly journals like Science and Nature to places like the New York Times. So I think we're succeeding. Great. Thank you. Rachel, what's your take on the open mission? You know, Deep Blue data really grew out of a realization that there was data going into Deep Blue documents, but that there were some additional needs. People tend to have a really good idea of what it means to make something publishable when that thing is an article or some other type of writing that's meant to be read by humans. Whereas with data, there's a lot less standardization in terms of what has to be done before something is ready to be released and to be useful publicly. And so Deep Blue Data launched in 2016, so 10 years after Deep Blue. And it's much smaller in terms of number of deposits. I think we're at around 400. But each of those goes through curation. We look at each deposit before publishing it. Rachel, that's really interesting. So given that Deep Blue Data started in 2016, how has the landscape of data curation changed over the years at U of M's library that supports open access? Data curation is still new in its development. And just to clarify, we think of data curation as being the actions that we take to ensure that data are fit for use and they're available for discovery and reuse. So making data as useful as it can be and keeping it useful. And that can include things like checking files to make sure they open, that they're in the best formats, reviewing metadata and documentation, the context that's provided, and looking at the connections between different types of files. And so the landscape of data curation, it's a pretty dynamic field and several of the biggest challenges. One is that there are some repositories that focus mainly on discipline and the data that they accept has to do with the topic of the data. And the other type that we are, institutional repositories, look at, well, where is this information coming from? How is it funded? Who's doing it? And one of the big challenges for institutional repositories, we accept data from anywhere across the university. And the University of Michigan is really diverse in the types of research that go on. 
And so one of the perennial challenges for institutional repositories is how do we meet people where they are? How do we provide the most valuable and time-effective services, both in terms of our capacity and also the limited bandwidth of researchers, while making sure that we're preparing all of the data that comes to us as best we can for use. So one of the things that we've been involved in is a project called the Data Curation Network, and that's actually an inter-institutional project that works to widen that network across different institutions. There are about 10 or 12 right now, and what they do then is do an inventory of the different types of expertise folks have across disciplines and across data formats, accessing expertise that is far broader than any one institution could ever have. And so that's been a really interesting and a really informative project for us to be a part of. And we're really excited to continue to do that because it helps us expand our thinking about what's possible, given that there are limitations on what any one person or one institution can do. And then I think one of the other big challenges has been tracking the impact both of curation and data after it's stored, so where it's used. Yeah, I'm really interested in this idea about sharing data beyond the U of M community, and you, you've addressed this a little bit. I wonder if you could both talk about that a little bit more, as well as the challenge of getting people to submit content to institutional repositories in the first place. One of the biggest ones is the perception that everything you might want is already available for free on the web. Researchers have had this idea for a while, and I would say it's only grown over time as more and more material has become available this way. But it's not really true, even if it looks like it is. The university, via the library, works pretty hard to make access to things we subscribe to, and we subscribe often at very high costs, as simple as possible. So when we succeed at doing that, it looks to people like the material is there for free, but places that don't have our resources typically don't have the same access to information that we have come to expect and rely on and enjoy. So what we can do, or at least try to do, is work to make access to research done here at U of M freely available to all. And that's what the Deep Blues are for. And as librarians, we commit to making that work available as soon as it's ready to share, keeping it available for the long haul. So to my mind, that's actually the biggest challenge is this perception that it's all already out there. But it's only already out there if people put it there. And so can people who are not part of the university communities access the open data repositories at University of Michigan? Yes, that's the short answer. There are some things that have access limitations placed on them. Often those limitations are temporary, though. There are, for instance, dissertations and theses that the authors want to limit availability to, to say, only the University of Michigan campus for a short period of time. But then things move out to be available to the rest of the world. And in fact, that's our default, is freely available to the rest of the world. Rachel, I wonder if you could weigh in on this a little bit um, on the, the challenge of getting folks to submit their data or, or how that data is further used outside of, of the U of M community itself. Some of the challenges are the same. One thing that's different is that Deep Blue documents, because it's existed longer and because we've been so successful in getting a lot of content in there, has much higher visibility. So with Deep Blue data, part of the work that we're doing is still outreach across campus, letting people know what is available to them in terms of both the repository itself and also the services that we provide. And another systemic issue is there's really a bit of a culture of scarcity in the way that we've historically prioritized product over process in terms of funding and also 
what comes out of research, what we see as valuable, what we see as the end product. But it's it takes real work to manage and prepare data in order for it to be shareable and usable for others. And so that can be really challenging, especially when researchers may not feel that that work is incentivized in terms of how they get their funding or how people weigh their work in terms of promotion and tenure or visibility. And a lot of these things are shifting, but it is much less of a set process. And there's a lot of change going on with the ways that data is is viewed, is cited, is valued. There was a conversation about research parasites, this idea that people not collecting their own data, but using other folks' data were somehow benefiting from labor in a way that has a negative connotation. And it's interesting because that shift towards thinking about, well, if this data is contributing to human knowledge openly, then it's actually really beneficial to have as much of it as possible accessible, both in terms of transparency and also in furthering the work that we're able to do. Thank you so much, Rachel. And that's a great segue into my next question, which is how can open data repositories build a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive scholarly infrastructure? I wonder if you could address that and then we could hear from Jim. This is such a great question. Some of the ways that we can build a more diverse, equitable, inclusive, and accessible scholarly infrastructure have to do not just with repositories, but with the institutions that we're a part of. And in addition to that, for repositories, there's traditionally not been a good sense of connection between the research that's done and the people that that research comes from, or the ways in which that research can affect communities. And so broadening the perspective and getting a better idea of where data goes after we're involved with it is important. It takes effort and time, but building relationships, listening, engaging with folks in different communities without being extractive. And there are existing projects and programs beyond the academy too. There are community data organizations such as Data Driven Detroit, Data for Black Lives, and many other projects that are doing that work of connecting to communities and looking at how data affects them. So I think potentially supporting and boosting projects that are already doing that work while being mindful of what the repository with the institution has to offer, not only engaging in it for our own benefit, obviously. And these are some things that we're just starting to think about. And one of the big challenges, too, is asymmetry of resources. So a place like the University of Michigan has the resources to disseminate data, to preserve it, to share it. There's an inherent tension there sometimes when data is connected to communities around issues of control and self-determination and access and who gets to make those decisions. And you touched upon many of the points that I would have said as well. So per what Rachel was talking about, one of the most important things I think that we can do in terms of creating a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive scholarly infrastructure is to remove barriers both to access and to distribution. And with the Deep Blues, we have tried since day one to do that. The default is open to the world to read. That doesn't mean that there are no barriers. You have to be in a position to use a web browser or use a mobile device. And that's definitely not something that everybody has at their fingertips all the time, but it's at least a first step towards making things available to others who, like Rachel was mentioning, aren't at a place like the University of Michigan, which is pretty well resourced. Rachel also mentioned, I think, that we can allow greater control of the access and distribution for the creators 
of the works as well. In both Deep Blue's data and documents, we try to claim as few rights as possible and leave as much as possible in control of the author and the creator. So in both places, we need the non-exclusive right to make this work that they are depositing uh, available to others. But that's about it. And so they are then free to do whatever they want elsewhere as well. So it's a situation where you're not picking an either or, but you can have both in terms of where work can be found and how it's presented. So getting scholarly work out there is no longer just a thing that tenured professors can do through monograph or academic journal publishing. It's more available to all. And we're finding in the deep blues that all are taking advantage of it. We've got superb work from those tenure faculty members, but we we'll also better disseminate superb work by undergraduates, our staff, folks everywhere uh, in the university. I think that's one of the, the things that is exciting is seeing sort of established researchers, but also a new generation of folks who are coming in, especially when those people are thinking about scholarship and research in ways that are broad reaching, that are focused on open access. That's something that I really get excited about. I also wanted to clarify something I said before about thinking about ethics more broadly beyond rules and regulations. And I did want to clarify that we don't have the expertise, for example, to evaluate whether human subjects data could possibly cause harm. But I think it is incumbent on all of us to partner and advocate for clear guidelines and good support for researchers in making those decisions because they're not always easy. And that part of what we do is we help researchers who come to us assess the appropriateness of our repository. And because the deep blues are open and because not not everything should be completely open. We don't only work with people who deposit with us, but we also help steer people where it's appropriate towards other repositories that might have restricted access or more control, more ability to see what's going to happen with that data. And then in terms of accessibility, the word accessibility is often used, I think, in repositories to mean being able to get access to files. But there's a lot of work still to be done, especially for data in terms of like assistive technologies. There's been some really interesting work on sonification of data, representing data through sound for blind researchers and students. And so I think that's the cutting edge or the next place that we'll see a lot of progress towards better understanding what accessibility means and can mean. That's fascinating. Thank you so much. And Jim and Rachel, this was a really thoughtful discussion. I really appreciate you coming by today. Well, thank you for inviting us. And you're quite welcome. It was enjoyable. Yeah, thank you. It's so exciting to be able to talk about these things. Please tune in for our next episode in this mini-series for a conversation with authors and faculty on their experiences with open access. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Michigan Publishing Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss a show. You can also follow the University of Michigan Press on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn for posts about episodes and other relevant content about our work. This podcast was written and produced by Brianna Johnson with the support of Michigan Publishing at the University of Michigan. Thank you.